Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Hey, Vine friends. Glad you guys are here. Hello. Um, Our scripture reading today is uh, from Matthew 11, 25, 29. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Mark, I'm the pastor here. I have a little announcement to make and I want you to prepare yourself for this. Uh, We are only three and a half months away from 2022. Doesn't that sound just bonkers? Like what a blur this year has been. It's hard to keep tabs with it. For me, there's some helpful markers to look back and go, oh yeah, it's been a minute. For me, like TV shows, remember like when the Tiger King, like when we all watched that. And then like there's other shows along the way, like The Queen's Gambit, or like those with young kids, Bluey came out and like intimidated me about being a better father. Then there's other shows like Ted Lasso or other shows like that. Now, that those are helpful markers, but there's also fads. Remember when there was a run on toilet paper? How long ago that was? Or there were announcements like the murder hornet, hornets when that came out, or or when uh, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry decided to leave the royal family. That was a big deal. Or even Brexit. I mean, think about that. So there's many different markers we can look back at this year. For me, one of the most, <laughs> the most humorous and uh, astonishing moments that we shared together in this last year was the winter freeze. When it went from this, like, Instagram-worthy, fun thing where we're making snowmen and igloos and then all of a sudden our pipes froze and we have snow in our bathtub so we can flush our toilets. That happened, you know? <laughs> and we still have reminders in our midst with all the, the trees and the plants that are still dead. And many of us are holding on to hope maybe it'll come back to life somehow. There is a reminder in our yard, we have this plant, this jasmine plant in our yard. It's, it's beautiful, it smells fragrant. It also has a very important role. It blocks the view of our trash can right there too. And so I've picked up a new hobby. We thought it was a goner. We trimmed it all the way down and then slowly, almost like imperceptibly, it started growing back. And my new hobby is I, whenever I go to the car, I help the vines kind of redirect them to go around the lattice so that it somehow can grow along the trellis and keep uh, moving up. What I've realized is that jasmine on its own will not grow tall. It'll just grow sideways. And I'll try to find anything to wrap around. And oftentimes, they can strangle other plants and even strangle itself. 
And so it actually needs a trellis to be able to grow and flourish, to be able to uh, grow tall, be fruitful and flourish. Now, we are much more like jasmine than we might realize. Our lives have a tendency to flourish when there's structure to our life, when there's a trellis, so to speak, a sense of intention for our days. Without it, we have a tendency to, to just grow sideways, grasping onto anything we can, even strangling that and even damaging ourselves. So last week, we talked about habits and the power of habits, how in the end, habits are the power to transform us, to change us, how these habits mark our lives for better or for worse. We talked about all of that, and we also we found ourselves humming a jingle called Five a Day. If you were here, you would know what that was about. But today, I would like for us to take this conversation to the next uh, step, which is how do we employ the power of habits, not only in our own individual lives, but our lives together as a community? How can we have some sort of lattice, some sort of trellis for our community and for our lives so that we can grow and flourish and so that we can become the people and the community that God wants us to be. And ultimately, what we're going to share in this sermon is those habits that we are going to hopefully uh, have as a community and live into with one another. But for me, this conversation begins with Jesus. Jesus's master plan for transforming this world was not to create an institution or a seminary, not to try to grab political power. Instead, Jesus' master plan for transforming this world was to invite common, ordinary people to follow him. And that's how this movement began, two simple words, follow me. Not believe in me, not study me, but actually follow me. And what we find here is that this invitation, this gracious invitation to follow me transformed all of us and transformed our world. But this isn't something that Jesus created. Jesus' uh, strategy was something that was actually being, uh, it was actually a practice in that day and age. Many different uh, rabbis, teachers, would call upon disciples. They would try to uh, be able to earn their favor enough where they would be deemed a disciple of theirs. And they would spend their days not only sin- sitting underneath that rabbi's teaching, but they would spend their days following them, knowing them. Uh, it was said to be a disciple's honor to be covered in the dust of their rabbi. Wherever the rabbi would go, they'd be right behind watching how they would spend their days and how they would teach. Now, what made Jesus unique was the fact that he t- chose all of the leftovers, the people who are not deemed religious, smart, those with much prominence or potential. Jesus chose a very least likely group to be his disciples, commoners, fishermen, farmers, even a tax collector. One of the things that I love about Jesus' choice of his disciples was that he even called people together who hated each other. We had Simon the Zealot and a tax collector if you want to use common t- terminology, that's like the religious right and the progressive uh, individual. And Jesus said, not only do I want you, but I want you together. And it was with this little tribe that Jesus formed this relationship with his disciples. All along the way, his disciples by his side, watching, listening, learning from Jesus. 
Now, we don't really hear that word disciple much in our, in our context, do we? Most people translate the word disciple to be student, but that's not that helpful because when we think of teacher and student, we think of desks and maybe a, a cardigan-wearing professor or something like that, and that's not really what we see in Jesus. We also don't see Jesus as some spiritual guru, a teacher, and the students uh, in, that, in that form or fashion. Perhaps what is more uh, a helpful tool, modern-day translation for the word disciple, is the word apprentice. Apprentice. An apprentice learns a skill or a trade from a master's craftsman. I was actually at a party yesterday, and someone mentioned, I wish I could be an apprentice to someone who knew how to fix cars. Like, I would pay someone to be an apprentice to be able to know that. An apprentice, uh, they learn a skill or a trade by spending time with a master craftsman, by watching how they work, watching the tools they use and how to use those tools uh, well. They learn that craftsmen habits, what they do, where they go, and then slowly the apprentice begins to pick up the trade. And as they do so, the master craftsman begins to slowly step back and let the apprentice begin the, the trade on their own, with the goal to ultimately send them out to continue that tradition. Now, this happens often in our world, but we don't use the word apprentice in that way or master craftsman. So for instance, there was a man outside Waco who loved to prepare food for large groups of people. Oftentimes, his uh, church would get, have a day at the park. And on the day of the park, all the kids would play in the playground. The adults would play in a softball game. Meanwhile, this man would be at the smoker making these meats for everyone to enjoy for the 150 people who were at that park. And along his side was his son. And don't you know, as his son was watching his father, like, handle the meat, get the smoker ready, tend the firebox and everything else. He, the son's watching the playground, right? Why am I here? I want to be there. But what happened after a while is that the son began to slowly learn how to do this, how to, how to live into this trade. Later on, this father would use his skill to bless the community. Uh, he would do it to raise money to, for mission trips for the youth group. Even sometimes when people in the community wouldn't be able to uh, cover their medical expenses, he would, he would smoke a lot of meat and sell it and, and raise money. Now, sadly, um, this father passed away way too soon. But in the spirit of apprenticeship, the son took on the father's trade. And that's why our friend Jacob, last week, he shared all of, of that meat with us because he's living into the tradition that he had. He learned not only how to smoke the meat, but why generosity and love and support was important. So last week when I announced that Jacob was here at 3.30 in the morning uh, in, that, uh, in that parking lot, you know, fighting for traffic and for the parking spot, uh, we might go, why in the world would someone do that? But you see, he's a part of a bigger tradition. He's continuing a legacy. In many ways, that is a picture of what it means to be an apprentice. An apprentice, is, this is similar to what Jesus had. Jesus was like a master craftsman. He was showing his disciples, his apprentices, his craft. And what was that craft? The craft was to, to know the Father and extend the Father's love to everyone. 
the craft was to be able to see the power of God's love in this world. This was his craft. And it was transformative. A type of love that meets people where they are but never leaves them there. A type of love that was full of grace and truth. And his disciples, his apprentices, saw that, displayed, knew what it meant in word and deed. This, and this craft was displayed through particular habits, particular habits that Jesus demonstrated. They would call those habits in that time, in that day and age, they would call them a, a rabbi's yoke, um, a yoke. So a rabbi would have a certain set of teachings and practices and habits, and if you wanted to be a disciple, you would have to come underneath that rabbi and put on that rabbi's yoke. And then you would have to abide by their understanding of what it meant to be faithful to God. And so if they said, well, Sabbath, you can't work at all, well, then if you had that yoke on, that means that you would have to follow that example. Now, the problem was some of these Pharisees had 613 rules, commandments, part of the yoke, 613 ways of interpreting what it meant to be faithful, good, and moral. That's 613 boxes to keep checked or make sure it's unchecked either way. But then Jesus comes along. And Jesus, this very different type of rabbi, flips everything upside down, and he says things like this. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am oppressive. <laughs> no, for I have so many rules you will maybe one day, if you try hard enough, you'll be good enough. No, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's no secret that we are a weary people. We are a tired people. And the sad truth is oftentimes we come to this place where we're weary from the pace of life, we're tired from the constant distractions that we seem to have, bloated from a life of consumerism, of goods. And the sad truth is we come into religious moments like this and oftentimes what we find is just more heavy yokes put upon us. We don't find rest. We just find another list to keep some other duties to maintain, and we find another source of insecurity. But Jesus says, if you're tired, if you're weary, don't put on any other yokes in this world. Take, come to me and let me show you a different way. And I find it surprising that Jesus would offer a yoke for the weary. Doesn't that seem to be the last thing weary and exhausted people need is another thing to put on them, right? How about a nap? How about a personal assistant, a nanny, a vacation? How does that sound? But Jesus' yoke might be the kindest thing from God, not as a way to retreat from this world, but a new way to engage this world, to enter into it. This yoke is a tool or an instrument so that maybe God could show us where to go, where rest is, and when to stop. There is a connection for me between the two images that I've shared in this message, between that of the trellis 
and that of the yoke. Both are instruments or tools that give life direction, that take form and give it purpose. They limit direction that people can go or what things can go. They honestly feel constraining. And that idea of being constrained is like the opposite of the American ideal. And what is the thing that we prize above everything else? Freedom. And typically, I mean, we, we had this conversation a couple weeks ago as we were going through the book of Galatians. And we talked about freedom a whole lot. And I asked the question, how would we define freedom? What's the most common definition of freedom? And y'all responded by saying, freedom means a life without boundaries, being able to do what I want. That is the idea of freedom. But what if the freedom we long for is not found by being liberated from all rules or norms? What if freedom is actually discovered by putting on an easy yoke and finding a lattice that we can actually grow together and experience life together, flourishing, fruitful life with one another? What if freedom without limits is like jasmine spreading along the ground, twisting all around itself on anything else it can grasp? So we're looking for a different kind of freedom, a different kind of easy yoke from Jesus. Around a year ago, the leaders of our church, we, we were thrown into this pandemic moment, and we were trying to be I don't know, optimistic or something like that. We're trying, like, what can we learn here in this moment? Anyone tired of learning things? Like, I've had my prayer time with God. I was like, I think I've learned everything I can. I'm ready to move forward. You can lift this now. Uh, but we were talking around, as a church, what can we learn this moment? We begin to talk about what is the actual purpose of this? It seems like so much energy and attention in church world is to put on the Sunday morning gathering. And when, we, when we couldn't gather on Sunday morning, we were left with the question, so what do we have left? And what we began to talk around is, what if this is a uh, correction for the church, for us to really consider what is the point of being church together? That led to a beautiful dialogue with one another, but one of the things that we talked about was, what if we um, could really recenter, reorient the energy and the purpose of our church around actually to practice the way of Jesus together, to actually put the life of Jesus in the center of our community uh, and see how we could experience that with one another. Like I shared a couple uh, uh, last week, if we want the life of Jesus, we need to consider Jesus' lifestyle. So we're going to do that together. And we began to look at all the different habits that Jesus displayed, that if we're going to be Jesus' apprentices, how can we begin to live into those habits with one another? And so we began to talk around the idea of finding common habits with one another, like a lattice that we could grow upon with one another, that our lives could take shape and form. This is nothing new. For generations, Christian communities have found a, a list of habits with one another. You will see this in monastic communities. Well, they will have certain practices they'll do together. You'll find this uh, in, in house church movements. You'll see that there, as well as in um, Catholic communities, um, that they practice certain habits together. And they're called by different names. Some, some people call that a rule of life or spiritual disciplines or a set of spiritual disciplines or an order. If you enter into a, a certain uh, monastery, you might enter into their order. Um, but for Enneagram 7, I hate all of those words. They sound super oppressive and incredibly boring. Um, rules, discipline, order, no thank you. 
But what I've learned is that good structure leads to freedom. Leads to freedom. So in, for me, a, a beautiful twist of all of this is that Latin word for rule is where we get the word trellis from. So life has a tendency to cling to the structure with one another as we grow and bear fruit with one another. And without that, without that rule, without that trellis, life spins into chaos and decay. So as our team processed this, we began to look at, at the life of Jesus, study the Gospels, and considered how we could be apprentices to this kind of Jesus. We identified eight different habits that we find in the life of Jesus, common spiritual practices, Four are daily and four are weekly. And they're displayed on this graphic right here. I'm just going to pause for a little bit and let y'all take a look at it. Just take a moment and just, uh, just take it in. What you'll see is the inner circle, obviously, is the daily practices. Four practices to practice each day, to embody in each day. And the outside circle is weekly practices. And what you'll find here is the eight practices, the daily ones, are scripture before screen. This means that before we go to the device that seems that our life is attached to, let's set the tone in God's word. And so uh, that's what scripture before screen is. The other practice is prayerful meditation three times a day. This means beginning to have the habit of pausing our day at least three times where we remember and surrender to Christ's presence in our midst. Another daily practice is lifting others in prayer, for us to go into prayer to consider other people's needs and burdens and take them to God. Another daily practice is to speak blessing to one another. This is where we, we begin to practice this habit of vocalizing the mercy and the love of Christ in other people's lives. The four weekly practices are fasting. We love to fast. We talk about that all the time, right? No, we talk about having smoked meat. We love that. But fasting is a weekly practice that we learn to redirect our longings to that which truly feeds us. It doesn't have to be food. It can be many other things. Another weekly practice is the practice of Sabbath, something that I feel like we should re-enchant re in our day and age. It's the weekly rhythm of rest and reconnection. Another weekly practice is one hour of significant friendship. This is where we prioritize intentional time with a handful of friends. For our church, friendship is not something that's left for elementary school kids. It's actually a deeply significant spiritual practice that keeps us healthy and safe. And then lastly, the weekly practice of embodying mercy in the margin. This is the habit of being present in the needs of our community. And yes, I'm talking about weekly. So these eight practices point us to living well. They form like a trellis. They become a yoke that leads us to life and to significance. And you'll notice on this too that on the edges, the four different edges of this, the four different sides of it, we're talking about practices that teach us to love our neighbor and to love God. It gets a little fuzzy of, well, that's kind of like loving God. Well, yes, it's blurry because God, <laughs> God created it to be blurry. But we're talking about how can we love others well and how can we love God well? Then on the bottom, you'll find these are practices of releasing of letting go of that which potentially is holding us back. And then the top is embracing, taking on more into our life that we need to help us flourish, help us to grow, um, to embrace what really matters. So for the next season of our church's life, we're going to explore and hopefully 
integrate what it looks like to have these habits form our lives, what we do on Sunday mornings, for us to explore them. And our hope is that, like a lattice, they will help us grow as individuals and as a community. So I'd like to now turn the conversation a little bit by saying, what are the knee-jerk responses? I want to address some of the knee-jerk responses when you see this. So here are some knee-jerk responses. Won't this just create another rule book? <laughs> like, isn't what this really got frustrated, uh, Jesus frustrated with the Pharisees? Um, so this isn't a rule so that we become lovable by God. This isn't a way that we demonstrate that we're value, uh, valuable or worthy uh, by God. This is actually in response to Jesus, in view of God's mercy. So Christ has already declared us acceptable, loved, received in him. But this is just how we live that out with one another. Um, this is about not only about how we were saved in Christ, but how we are being saved here and now. And so saved from regret, saved from self-centeredness, from spiritual apathy. This is what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. He said, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. We love that part. We were like, yes, I've been saved by grace. It's not by works. Jesus did it all. Yes. Verse 10, right? Next verse. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared us in advance to do. So yes, it is only by grace we have been saved, but we are also been created to get to work, to be God's tools in this world. Um, I think it was St. Teresa, I should not just make up things on the spot, but I think it was St. Teresa um, who said, God has no other messenger than you. God has no other hands or feet than you. That feels weighty, but it is the case. We are God's handiwork. The second thing I, I have heard people say in response to this is, isn't this how cults are made? The answer is yes, yeah. Next question. No. Usually cults have more charismatic leaders, so we're okay, we're fine. Um, what we're saying is this, is that, that that graphic, those eight habits, aren't the way to make God happy. It's just a way of us to practice this life together. And to be honest, there will be seasons where I think we're going to replace some practices with new ones as we feel invited by God to explore them or to respond to a cultural moment. And uh, we have always had this mission to follow Jesus together. It's been a simple mission, and sometimes I feel like it's been a little too fuzzy because we can make that into whatever we want it to be. We actually now have a little more clarity of what it means to follow Jesus together. How are we following Jesus together? Well, for this season, we have these eight practices. That is how we're going to follow Jesus together and how we're going to grow with one another. Okay, the next knee-jerk response is eight practices seem like a lot. Was that yours? Anyone else? That was yours? Okay, so the idea is not to try all eight practices tomorrow, but is to prayerfully consider the invitation of which you'd like to explore, to explore, to look into. Maybe you're curious about one of these things and never looked into it. Uh, maybe you feel a sense of um, a call to integrate one of these in your life. Maybe you have a need in your life. So we're inviting you to start there. This is why we're starting praxis groups, these small groups. They're going to look into a practice and explore them in community. 
the point of these groups are they're gonna come together, talk about it, and then go and live it out, and then come back together and talk about their experience of actually practicing it. Not just, um, not just talking about it, but actually living it out. Okay, and then the fourth and final one, this is the most common one, is this sounds exhausting. Was that your ears, anyone? Ugh, seems like just another yoke, a heavy yoke, a list. Another, I'm done doing lists. Some of you probably are using this sermon right now to make your own list of groceries or whatever else. You don't need another one. Well, my response to that is, do you know what is exhausting? Status quo. Like the way that life is, I think that's exhausting. The American life is exhausting. So I'm not, I'm not actually asking you to begin your first rule of life. The reality is you're already living in it. You just don't have it down on paper. You just maybe didn't sign up for it. The reality is that you already live underneath a rule of life, under a yoke. The American rule of life is what, um, is what we're living under. In Galatians, Paul talked about it as living under the pattern of this world this pattern that our lives go into and that sometimes we're not even aware that we're living under. Our uh, community member, Ron Ragsdale, I love Ron. He has great quotes. He once quoted, I, I corrected it a little bit. I, I thought Ron could have changed the words a little bit, but this is what, a quote that he shared with me. A system is uniquely and perfectly designed to produce the exact results that are being produced, good and bad. He was thinking about a corporation, a business, but I think this is a reality in life. Systems are perfectly designed to produce what they produce, whether it's good or bad. And the American rule of life is perfectly producing the following. Anxiety, overconsumption, contention, envy, debt, addiction to distractions, being constantly connected yet overwhelmingly lonely, these are all the byproducts of the American rule of life. This is the byproducts of the yoke of of our uh, living in, in the patterns of this world. So I'm not asking you to enter into your first rule of life, but I'm actually just recapping what Jesus said. Is anyone tired? Anyone isolated? Anyone feeling blue? <laughs> Anyone feeling overwhelmed, come to me and put on a light and easy yoke. Friends, freedom is not found without limitation. Freedom is found under the right limitations. Freedom is not found when we live as if we think we're being free and liberated because the reality is we're just just falling into the patterns of this world. Freedom is actually entering into an apprenticeship to Jesus. That's where freedom is found. And our hope is that through these habits that we will be changed from the inside out. And again, I'm not talking about the power of habits. I'm talking about the power of knowing and having this deep connection to Jesus and living that connection out in this world. And remember, Jesus' primary invitation was, don't study me, follow me. I love how Eugene Peterson transcribed Colossians 2 when he said, my counsel for you, the church, is simple and straightforward. 
Just go ahead with what you've been given. You've received Christ Jesus, the master. Now live in him. Follow him as an apprentice, right? You're deeply rooted in him. You're well constructed upon him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. And let your living spill over into thanksgiving. So friends, that's our invitation. Let's start living this out with one another. Let's start, and I just want to say for anyone who's weary and burdened in this place, there is a freedom in following Jesus and knowing him. So may we be a community that puts on a different yoke, one that leads to life and one that leads to significance with one another.